we are going to receive our miracle offering uh, this morning at the end of uh, the sermon. I'm going to speak to it a little bit uh, today, but um, but um, one of the important things that we need to realize about money is that money is not a reflection of our decision-making ability. The way we spend our money, the what we do with our money, it's not really a reflection of our decision-making ability. The other thing we know about money is that money's not a really a good reflection of our good intentions. How many people know that your good intentions don't reflect accurately in your bank statement? Yeah, it's not a great. It's not a great. Re, it's not a great revealer of your good intentions. Money's not even the way you use money isn't really an indication of what you know about money. A lot of people know a lot about money and and then what they do with their money doesn't really reveal their knowledge about money. But the way you use money and the reasons why the behind the ways you use money, so the way you use money and the reasons behind it, really all they do is reveal your heart. And the thing about money is it reveals your heart. It doesn't change your heart. Uh, The problem with winning a whole lot of money in the lottery is it just makes you more like you. Uh, and your heart is revealed in amplified form. The microphone that I'm speaking into doesn't improve my voice. In fact, it just makes it louder, highlighting the nasal qualities of my voice. And it's true about money as well. Some, some of us, the reason you don't have more money is because it wouldn't be a blessing either to you or to the people around you. The reason God doesn't pour out more and more money on some of us is because we couldn't handle it and we wouldn't be a blessing with it. In fact, there's a very real case to be made that you would be a curse with more money. You'd be a worse friend. You'd be a worse church member. You'd be a worse citizen the more money that you had. Some of you would pray less if you had more money. Some of you would depend upon God less if you had more money. And in fact, some of you have too much money. Some of you have too much money, and you pray less than you should. You depend less than you should. I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. (laughs) Moving, Moving on. Just always remember that I'm in charge. No, that's all right. Grab your Bible, and let's have a look at this passage from Luke 19. I've got a couple of points I want to make. And then uh, we'll receive our offering this morning. And um, I have been speaking a little bit about what we want to spend money on. And probably for the first time in a long time, we, we can actually have a bit, more of a, a bit more of a dream with our money. For a wee while, we've been spending our manage, money on a mortgage, um, which is good. It's a really good thing to do with money, uh, but it's not as exciting uh, as doing things like extending into a new venue, uh, equipping our kids' ministry a little bit better, uh, equipping our youth ministry better. Um, And I think it's exciting to be in a position where we can take steps forward. Amen? Very good. Thank you, those two people who are still awake. Other people are still worried about Charles Peertow and Israel Day. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen. I think I'll read it from the screen because I've got an old Bible. That's a bit hard to read. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho. Remember, Jericho is a big city. It's, it's, it's not as big as Jerusalem, but it's like the next, it's the other big city in the nation. And, and he makes his way through the town. So he's wandering through town. Uh, there's a man in Jericho. His name is Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. What's, what is it that we know about Zacchaeus? He's very, very... Short. Zacchaeus is short. Uh, the thing you probably don't realize about Zacchaeus, the most important thing about Zacchaeus isn't that he was short. It's this bit here, that he was the chief tax collector. Everyone say chief. 
Uh, he's like uh, he's like the arch tax collector is what it really is. Uh, and, and he's not just a tax collector for Jericho. He's the chief tax collector in that region, right? And he had become very rich. Now, we'll pause there for a moment. The way he became rich was by, by extorting the population. So how it would work is you would bid for a tax region. So Roman tax regions were, uh, were biddable. So he would say, I reckon from that group of people, I can get this much money out of them. So let's say you had the tax region of Wellington, and you say, I'm going to get a million dollars tax out of Wellington, right? You should probably aim for higher than that. But let's say you're going to get a million dollars tax, right? And then so you would bid to Rome, and you'd say, I'll take charge of getting the tax off everybody, right? And I will give you 500000 And Rome says, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it. Right, but then whatever you get above five hundred thousand, you just put in your own pocket, right? And so it, it's not like tax now; it's much more like mafia protection money, right? It literally—I'm not joking. Literally, that's what they were doing, right? So they would use the political and military power of Rome to extort finance from their own people. He was—he was a Jew. This guy Zacchaeus. He's not a Roman. He's a Jew. And he's collaborating with the Romans and he's made himself very rich. Cool. Moving on. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. It's a funny thing is that you don't have to be that short to not be able to see over the crowd. In fact, you only have to be average height not to be able to not see over a crowd. The, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, have we focused on the wrong point here? Zacchaeus is the short man. Zacchaeus, he's, a short, he's too short to see over a crowd. Zacchaeus is too short to see over a crowd. Do you know when I'm in a crowd, I can't see over the crowd? Because I'm literally average height. Nearly half the people in the crowd are taller than me. Half of them are shorter than me. And if there's a crowd of any size, I can't see over the crowd. If Jesus is average height and you're average height and the crowd all around you is average height, are you going to be able to see Jesus if there's a big enough crowd? The answer is no. He's too short. And the point I want to make is so are you. Cool. Moving on. Uh, So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree, which is just a very ordinary tree that was beside the road. And uh, because Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Uh, But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Uh, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, this is at lunchtime, he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, it's like like that, if, if I have sinned, Lord, if I have cheated, uh, if I did lie, I'm sorry, if I, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And look what Jesus says in response. Jesus responded, salvation has come. Everyone say has come. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Very cool. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that we need to get a look at Jesus. The reality is what we all want in life is probably the same thing. We all want to live a different sort of life than we live right now. Well, maybe we don't, but if you ever experience frustration, anger, disappointment, 
bitterness, sadness, vague sense of melancholy. Uh, All of those things reflect the fact that somewhere inside of you, you you have this internal view that life should be different to the way it is right now. Okay, so if you're a young person, you're thinking, well, I need to do, I'm going to go to university, or I'm going to get a different job, or I'm, I'm going to, once I find a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or once, I, once I've traveled, that'll be different, I'm bored with this, I'm frustrated with this, I'm disappointed with that. But once you're middle-aged, you've done those other things, and you still have that sense of vague melancholy, disappointment, frustration, right? And the reality is, once you're middle-aged, you realize that you need to change, Right? You need to change if life's going to be different. You know, probably it's not true of everyone. A lot of people when they're middle-aged still think other people need to change around them to make the world work. Maybe they need a different husband or a wife. Maybe they need a different job. Maybe they need a change of scenes. But the reality is that we'll find as you go through life that one of the, one of the recurring realities is you come back to the point that we need to be different if the world's going to be different around us. And I reckon that's what Zacchaeus realized. See, on the surface, Zacchaeus needed nothing. He's incredibly wealthy, and he is incredibly powerful. He literally is like a gang leader, like a, like a mafia leader. He would have had... Uh, you know, team, teams of other tax collectors out and about who would be collecting the tax on his behalf. Everyone's skimming it at every level. And he was, he was powerful to the point that he was one of the, the people that was controlling the whole economy in the area. He wasn't just like, a, like a, a small-time player. He was controlling the economy of an entire region. So he's incredibly powerful, right? He's dealing directly with Rome. But even Zacchaeus... With all of his money, with all of his power, with all of the prestige of being that sort of a leader, that sort of an influencer, even he recognized that he needed to get a look at Jesus. He needed to see Jesus. And in my, in my, I wonder two things. I wonder how did Jesus know his name? Well, there's two reasons. Zacchaeus is, is as famous as Jesus is. See, Zacchaeus knew Jesus' name, knew what he was on about. I wonder if Jesus knew Zacchaeus and what he was on about. So I wonder, I wonder the extent of Zacchaeus' region. I wonder how much tax has Jesus paid as a carpenter growing up in a carpentry family. I wonder whether maybe Matthew, the tax collector, who's one of Jesus' disciples, I wonder whether who his previous boss might have been. I wonder, this guy Zacchaeus, I wonder if he's actually got some connection on the fringe or whether, in fact, this is like just a bolt out of the blue. See, we read it as a story in the Bible. Jesus comes wandering through Jericho and we this little incident. But I wonder if there's so much more going on where Zacchaeus has got this, this maybe on this Jesus thing, he's rising up in power, he's threatening my power, and he takes this opportunity. He says, no, I've got I've to look into this whole Jesus thing. He's definitely heard about Jesus, but I wonder if he's really heard much more than we really give him credit for. He hasn't just, maybe he's heard more than just the news about Jesus. Maybe he's heard about who Jesus really is. The reality in life is that there's always a crowd. There's always a crowd, isn't there? Probably one of the reasons we do four songs at church on Sunday is because there's at least that bigger crowd. The reason, the reason we always encourage the worship leaders to, to make you do stupid actions because it just gets rid of the crowd. You just push them out of the way. Hey, Laura. That's... Why? Because by moving your body, you, 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 you're 
distancing yourself from some of your cares and your worries and your concerns and the things that surround you that obscure your view of Jesus. Well, it's just silly dancing. Yeah, but it's amazing what silly dancing does in terms of opening up our heart to Jesus. And I wonder if, if you find it hard to dance, I wonder if you're in the thrall of the crowd more than you are with Jesus. The question you need to ask yourself is, do you really see Jesus? Or have you just caught a glimpse of him between some people's heads? Because I've, see, I've seen the queen like that, just, you know, just through, through a crowd going past in a car. It's like, wow, the queen! Sing. But I think if I met her now, she wouldn't know my name. See, I wonder, sometimes I think in my own journey following Jesus, I've relied on a glimpse of Jesus in the crowd. Just a glimpse. And amongst all my worries and my concerns and all the other people in my life, I see Jesus go past every Sunday. Hey, there goes Jesus. And church becomes the Jesus parade. And we all wave our little Jesus flags and sing, rule, Jesus, Tanya. And he off he goes past. And we don't, but we haven't made a connection. We don't really have a relationship. Uh, you know, we can't. We literally can't. If Monty Python taught us nothing, they taught us we can't rely on the words of Jesus passed back through the crowd. That was a joke for all the old people. We can't rely on just on, on chi- a Chinese whispers connection with Jesus. You know, you can't even do normal friendships like that. You actually have to, if you do a normal, fr- you know, if, if your whole, you know, Oh, so-and-so says there's such and such about you. Well, how many people know that that's not going to be a great connection? Right? I wonder how often we rely on that. In the case, in this case, this crowd of people was more holy than Zacchaeus. He was too short to see over the crowd. And so he wasn't really, really tall. But what, <laughs> what prevented him from just pushing through the crowd? Well, the, the fact of the matter is that if he'd gone near any of those people in the crowd, they would have gone home to wash, their clo- wash all of their clothes, to wash themselves ceremonially, because Zacchaeus is the, is the dirtiest of dirty sinners. When they refer to the tax collectors in, in the Bible, they talk about them as tax collectors and sinners. So everyone's a sinner, but this guy's a tax collector as well. It's like, a, it's like a whole new category of sin. The only other name that sort of gets pulled out is tax collectors and sinners or prostitutes and sinners. So there's these two special categories of sin. Why? Because it's people who are what? They're selling themselves for something that's, uh, that's unholy, right? Tax collectors and sinners. Now, the problem with so much of us in our Christian circles is we grow up, we grow up in a whole crowd of people and everyone else is more holy than you. Nearly every Christian thinks every other Christian is holy because every other Christian pretends to be holy, right? And so we have this, it's like this mutual like d- d- illusion that we create for ourselves. I'll pretend I'm holy and don't point out the things I'm, that I'm not holy on. And you pretend you're holy. And, and I'll, if you, as long as you don't point out the things in me that are unholy, I promise not to point out the things that are in you that are unholy. And we're like, we're like a, like a, we're like a, just a, a like, a, it's like a big collection of drug addicts who never tell each other the truth. Right, because if I tell you the truth, that gives you the permission to tell me the truth. If you tell me the truth, then I'll have to deal with my crap. So what we do instead is we all pretend to be holy, and then we all stand at the back. 
In our hearts and in our emotions, we all pretend to be holy, and then we all know that we're not, so we all hold back from Jesus. It's the weirdest thing ever if you imagined it played out in in practical form. Jesus comes through town, and everyone's running and diving into behind bushes and... Whereas, see, the reality is there's always a crowd more holy than you. I, I know of people who, who say they don't want to get baptized because they, they think that they'll sin again probably after they get baptized. Where did they get the impression that you have to be perfectly holy for the whole rest of your life after you get baptized? They got that impression from the way we talk about our Christian life. They got that impression from a weird understanding that we've created as the church. We've got to understand, let's not be the holy crowd that exclude others. Let's not be the people holding back, because we're actually both at the same time. Very cool. This was a crowd of people taller than Zacchaeus. Do you know, there's always got to be natural limitations to your view of Jesus. You, not, you might not be very tall, but you, you may be an accountant, which is actually going to prevent you from seeing Jesus perfectly. You, you might not be so short, but you might be a truck driver, which is going to distort your view of Jesus. You, you might not be very, very short, but you could be a psychologist, which is going to prov- distort your view of Jesus. You might have Scottish heritage. You might have Samoan heritage. Uh, you, you, you might ha- have any sort of background. There's something about you naturally. There's everything about you naturally that's preventing you from being able to see Jesus. Let's just be honest about the fact that the way we've grown up, the culture we've grown up in, is not 100% brilliant. There's things we've learned, there's things we believe, there's things we think are true that are just not. Let's face up to the fact that, that we are too short. There's limitations in our view. You can think, well, actually, I've got a perfect view of Jesus. Well, let me assure you, if that's your attitude, you are the blindest person here. The reality is we've got to come to terms with the fact that we, we're not too unholy to push through the crowd, but we are too short to see over it. There's something about you that prevents you from seeing Jesus clearly, and you probably know what it is or what it is right now that Jesus wants to address. But let's face the fact that our, our natural limitations prevent us from seeing Jesus. Amen? Cool. So we've got to get a look at Jesus, so we've got to climb a tree. It's increasingly unusual in New Zealand to see people in trees. Uh, when I was a child, actually, if school was out, every tree had three or four kids in it. Uh, uh, but it's, been, it's, it's less and less a thing we do in New Zealand. But in the ancient Near East, the climbing of trees was even less uh, common as it is in New Zealand. And the idea of a grown man climbing a tree, although reasonable here in New Zealand, if you're with your kids and you're climbing a tree, that's fine. If, if you do this by yourself in your lunch break, I don't know, you know, you could find yourself in a, you know, it's definitely socially unacceptable. In the, in, the, in the first century Israel, it's outlandish that a grown man will climb a tree. It's like completely outlandish. For instance, they would, a grown man wouldn't run in public. Incredibly disgraceful to be seen running. <laughs> so the idea of climbing a tree, is, uh, is, 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 we've got to understand, it's ridiculous. You know, we need to do something ridiculous. We need sometimes to do things that are ridiculous to get a view of Jesus. We have to climb a tree. 
uh, we must, we've still got to climb a tree to get a view of Jesus. You know, we do this every February in our church. We all climb the tree together. We do something that cuts right against our cultural preferences. We do something that makes us look stupid every lunchtime at work. In February, we well, this is New Zealand people. In New Zealand in February, there's a whole bunch of Christians who for the month of February eat no meat. Well, this is New Zealand I'm talking about. They eat no meat. You know what I mean? And people can sort of understand that because there are vegetarians amongst us, right? Uh, and so that makes sort of sense. But then if you tell someone that you're not eating any meat or any dairy products, now people start to get uncomfortable like they would if you were a grown man up a tree. What are you doing that? Why would you do that? Then when you mention that you're not drinking tea or coffee or any other caffeine, people start to flake out. Why? How could you do this? Right? People feel threatened. Right? Because this is an outlandish thing to do socially, but what, is it, what does it do in our heart? It humbles us, which is why you fast, to humble yourself, to say, I'm not going to focus on meeting my own needs with all my energy. I'm going to focus my heart on Jesus. Now, uh, the book of James says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the, to the humble. The reality is this. You have to get down off your high horse before you can climb a tree. And I wonder what tree you need to climb. Where do you need to humble yourself and say, well, I'm actually just going to go along with this. I'm actually just going to position myself. I'm just going to stop trying to fit in. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to position myself to see Jesus. Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a tree. Um, Number three, we need to do open house or open home in reverse. We need to do an open home in reverse. There's there's two really outlandish things that happen in this story. Number one, Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Bizarre, right? Zacchaeus climbs a tree. That's bizarre. Right? The next thing that's, that's crazy is Jesus comes along and invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Now, it's a bit, you know, in church we invite each other ourselves. To, you know, I invite myself to people's houses all the time. So I sort of think it's acceptable, but maybe it's not. But anyhow. <laughs> but in the ancient world, you'd ne- you, don't, you never do that. You never invite yourself. You respond to other people's invitation. If someone invited you, you'd respond to their invitation, or, or you would invite someone to your house. So it'd be perfectly acceptable for Jesus to invite him, someone else to his house. Well, not Zacchaeus, but somebody, one of the holy guys, the ones at the front of the crowd. It would be acceptable for Jesus to invite them to his house. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' heart, house. I've, I've given away my main point. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, well, yeah, we sing a song. Revelation 3, Radi Ra, open the door of your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Ryan's listening, edit that bit out. Anyhow, um, the, um, we, we know the beauty of these Bible stories is they're quick to read. You can get them through quick, right? You can squeeze them into a half hour Sunday school lesson. It's good. But the, the problem is that you have to think about it a little bit. Keep, like, imagine the scene. There, you know, there aren't words, there's not language that we could use in church to describe how people thought about Zacchaeus. He is the person who is impoverishing them. 
So some people in this crowd, kids don't eat well because of Zacchaeus. Some people in the crowd have lost, you know, lost their businesses, lost their family opportunity, lost their family inheritance because of Zacchaeus. Not because of Rome, because of Zacchaeus. I remember at high school studying World War II, there's some always one of the most frightening things was the descriptions of what happened to the Nazi collaborators after the war. Like it was a special type of vengeance that was that was exacted against those people. In fact, almost more than what was exacted against actual Nazi officers and rulers. Those people who had collaborated with the Nazis against their own people. And I'm sure this is true in every conflict. These people are singled out as the evil, evilest of the evil. And Jesus comes along and says, Zacchaeus, quick, let's go and have lunch at your house. The, the, people wouldn't have been silently shocked. There would have been people who would have said something. There would have been, Jesus' disciples would have been like, What? Not, not another mind-blowing, paradigm-shifting, socially ostracizing moment following Jesus. Not again we're going we're gonna to go and have lunch with, that, with this person. To go and have lunch with Zacchaeus is to open yourself to all of the same ridicule that Zacchaeus was. Think about it politically. Jesus is trying to extend his ministry. Oh, he's, he's in Jesus I wonder how he pays for. I wonder how he paid for all that bread and fish. Oh, who's financing this whole Jesus ministry? Oh, it's all bad money from. He. Oh no, I heard that he's friends with Zacchaeus. Because see, to eat with someone in the ancient world was the same thing as what we do every Sunday morning in the prayer meeting, where we have our, our little cup of juice and our bread, and we remember our covenant relationship with Jesus. Jesus, by inviting himself into Zacchaeus's home. To share a meal is saying, I am going to covenant in friendship with you. It's like blood brothers. It's a connection that says, hey, you and me are family. It's like porphyry when you come into Mariah. It's not finished until you eat together. It's the same principle through all, just about every ancient culture. When you eat together with someone and you share a meal together, you are connecting your lives together. And Jesus says, I'm coming to connect my life with your life. So why do we feel like Jesus? we're not worthy of Jesus' love? Well, because we didn't climb the tree. You're always going to feel unworthy until you climb the tree and until you actually hear Jesus call you out. Well, I don't want to climb the tree. Well, you'll never understand this Jesus thing. Well, well, climbing the tree doesn't make any sense. No, absolutely not. But there's a process. Is that all right? Okay, let's observe the following, okay? I just need some, I need some volunteers, so I need Pati, Aru, Wakash, Pati, Aru, Wakash, Jono, uh, Emma. Is that all right? Very good. Pati, Aru. Okay, so imagine this is like an evolutionary diagram, all right? And so we're trying, we're, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, right? So, this is process, right? We all want to be like Emma. One day we want to be like Emma. We want Jesus to be so real in us that we look like Jesus, like, much like Emma does. Um, but we, we've got to start. We've got to... 
Now, that's not imagine this is not an evolutionary thing. That's not helpful for my thing. Okay, so part of your humility. We all want we all want to we all want a transformed life. But it, ha- it starts right, it starts here. We all think it starts here. Okay, if I can meet Jono, Jono will introduce me to Emma. Well, Jono's not going to introduce you to Emma unless you've met Wakash. And Wakash is not going to introduce you to Jono unless you've met Aru. And Aru's not going to see you until you've met Patti. See, it starts with humility. And from humility, we can connect with Jesus. Until we humble ourselves, there's no connection with Jesus. Because you can't see past the crowd. If you can't see Jesus, how many people know if you're at the back of the crowd and you can't see Jesus, can he see you? Now, we don't know that Jesus can see us all here. But the point I'm making is there's no connection. It requires something of us. Now, the, the woman with the issue of the blood, she pushed through the crowd. Blind Bartimaeus, she, he shouted out. Zacchaeus ran and climbed a tree. All of these things are humble, taking personal risk, forgetting about the people around me. I'm going to find Jesus somehow. Now, even in church, come on, you've got to have that attitude. I'm not. I've got to push past the church crowd. I'm going to push past the pastor's attitude. I'm going to push past the hosting team. I'm here to meet Jesus. That's got to be something inside of us. If you're just turning up at church, you never get a transformed life. You just get something to do on Sunday morning, right? But we've got to have a transformed life. And if you're going to be here, let's let's experience everything God's got for us, right? So once we're humble, then we have a connection with Jesus. And once we have a connection with Jesus, then Jesus begins to build relationship with us. Right? Humility, then there's a connection. And from connection, there's relationship where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to have lunch at your house. Now, we got to understand this, but this relationship with Jesus is a covenant relationship. So it's not like clicking confirm. Yeah, I can just block his posts anyway. I would never do that to any of you, of course. But we relate with people really transactionally in our culture. And the best example of it is social media, where you just go, man, these people are boring. <laughs> you just, all you're doing is looking through for that, that old picture of Wellington that Dougal's repo- retreated. <laughs> but that's not relate. That's not relationship. It's not even connection. It's just transaction. Some some people some people all we all we do is transactions. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah, very good. But with these people you've known and they've been your friends for ten years, you still just transact. You don't relate. Relationship is a sharing of life. And see, when we relate with Jesus, it becomes a sharing of life. Until there's a sharing of life, there's no transformation. Right? There's no transformation. Humility gives opportunity for connection. Connection is the basis Jesus uses to build relationship. Because it's Jesus who stands at the door of our heart and knocks. Right? That relationship transforms us. What I got you to say when we read the scripture, Zacchaeus makes this big statement. So this is Zacchaeus at the end of the end. He says, I'm going to give half of everything I earn 
The word wealth, he's talking about the money he has and the money he's ever going to have. What he commits to at lunchtime with Jesus is a 50% giving. Every time I get money, half of it I'm going to give away, right? He knows, Zacchaeus knows that the expectation of the law is that he gives 10%. But because he humbled himself, built a connection and related with Jesus, Jesus transformed him to the point where his heart changed and then his view of money changes. Now, we're taking up an offering this morning, but I don't want us to start with, hey, we want money. Because that's no point. What we need is to connect with Jesus and for our hearts to be transformed. Because when we're transformed, then different things come out of our mouth. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of, what I, what, uh, half of my wealth to the poor. And for everyone I've cheated, I'm going to give back four times the amount. So a 300% return on what he's stolen. He's not required to do that by the law either. He's only required to give something like 25% interest is the legal requirement from the law of Moses, which he knows. He knows that if he's cheated, he has to give 25% back. But like everyone, when Jesus is real in our world, we go beyond the law in our expectation, in our, in our behavior. Now, we all want different behaviors. I wish I, I wish I talked different, thought different, did money different, did relationships different. But if you just try and change your behaviors, if you say, oh, I want to, I want to be like Emma, I just want to change my behaviors. I just want to, you, you, you're missing the whole point. It's, it all happens here at Transformation. But there's no transformation without relationship. There's no relationship without an actual connection. As long as you're still looking at Jesus through, through the crowd, he, you know, Jesus is just in the background of your life, there's no relationship being built. Right? There's got to be a connection, which, and the connection only happens because of humility. But how often do I start? I just think, man, I've got to change this about myself. Yes, you do. <laughs> But anywhere along this line, if you try and you try and meet Emma, she'll send you down. Oh, have you ever tried to change your behaviors? It's not that good, eh? Hey, James, it's, it's not easy to change your behaviors. But if you humble yourself and go to shout, see Jesus, worship time after worship time after worship time, hanging out, talking at the backpackers. Right? Jesus makes his home in your heart. And then suddenly there's not, there's not much space for weed anymore. And then your behaviors begin to change. But you just try and change your behaviors for the rest of your life. You're only opening yourself up to more and more frustration. We've got to, let's face the fact, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get off our high horse. Horses can't climb trees. We've got to get off our high horse. They can't put eggs back together again. I don't know about that either. Why, yeah, anyway. Horses can't climb trees, but the problem we've got, the problem we've got, the problem we've got in our relationship is we don't have a relationship because we are too cool, we are too dependent on ourselves, and we don't really need Jesus. Thank you. Can you give my wonderful actors a round of applause? So we've got to get a look at Jesus. To do that, we've got to climb a tree. I'm just recapping my notes here. We've got to open our house in reverse. We've got to, we've got to understand that Jesus is inviting Himself into your world. You might have been a Christian for 700 years. You might be a brand new follower of Jesus. The reality is the same. This message works for us all. We've got to open our heart. We've got to open our heart. 
and do our open house in reverse. We've got to observe that there's an actual process to change. And lastly, we, we do need to be a tree. The unsung hero here is that sycamore fig tree. Without, his, uh, without this tree's involvement, you do wonder exactly how the story would have gone. It, it, I, think a, a, I think, you know, the church we know is the body of Christ. We know that the church is the army of God. We know that the church is the temple of God, the house of God. We know that the church is the family of God. We know that the church is the bride of Christ. And there's one more I can't remember. But we know all these things. But I think the church is also the tree on the side of the road. And, and, and when I say church, I mean, I mean the people of the church. You know, that's, people say, is church about the people or is it about the gathering, the, the service, which we're doing right now? Well, let me assure you, it's got to be about both those things. Because hey, if there's no people here, it's not much of a service. But I wonder, I wonder in your life, if you could position yourself where Jesus is, if you can put roots down where Jesus is, if you can always have low enough branches for people to climb on, then you're always going to be someone people can climb upon to get a better view of Jesus. You don't have to be Jesus. You just have to be able to get people, other people in a position where they can see Jesus. One of the challenges to, to witnessing to unsaved friends and family is we don't really know what we're talking about. Why? Because we're talking about an eternal reality. I, 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 I hear this all the time. I talk to my friends about Jesus more. I just need to learn a little bit more. Here, understand this. For 2,000 years, the smartest people all through history have been writing about the gospel. We still don't really know how it works. How is our heart, how is our heart transformed? How does Jesus come alive in us? How do these things happen? We don't really know how they happen. So it's not about getting better at explaining it. It's just simply about having testimonies that reach down to where other people need to climb on. Well, if God can do that for you, he could do this for me. Just something that lifts people to the point where they can see Jesus. That's why as a church, we're committed to what we do with, with our young people. With emerging, with 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 young young people, I'm talking about from crèche to university. Sorry, university students, it's a broad group. Why? Because we want to be a church that's still got lower branches. You know those. You know those. The, you know you go to climb those trees, but they've cut the lower branches off, and you can think, man, that's a perfect tree to climb. You know those trees I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a perfect tree to climb, but they've cut the lower branches off, so you can't get started on it. I think throughout church history, often the church has presented itself to the world without any lower branches. There's no way to connect and get involved. There's no way just to turn up on a Friday, hang out with some other young people, get a bit of a view of who Jesus is. Straight away, you turn up on a Friday, you've got to dress right, you've got to behave right, you've got to talk right. You know, one of the, one of the best things we can do for our young, for our little kids, the little crash kids, I, I say all the time to the crazy is just we just need to read them Bible stories. Just more and more Bible stories. Why? Because these are the branches that I've climbed on in my life. David and Goliath. Well, David, God could do that for David. What could he do for me? 
You know, when I was being bullied at primary school, it was David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath that helped me get a view of Jesus and my little 10-year-old big problem, right? Come on, we've got to be a church that has got low branches. We've got to be Christians who have low branches. You know, Jesus gives the church this one simple job description. Go into all the world. And Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Then he says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. So that's the Mark version. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. In Matthew, it's it's recorded slightly differently. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you always. And, And if you think about it, for me, I just think, man, However way, whichever way you express it or think about it, Jesus' command to us is to be compelling, to be engaging, to be inviting, to be drawing people along somewhere. In the, I've heard Mark Stevenson preaching. Actually, I haven't heard him preaching. I've heard people talking about this sermon that he preached one time. Just about that when Jesus says, go into all the world. We always think, well, that's missionaries and that's giving in an offering, which is true. That's, those things are going. But if you, a really strong translation of this could equally be as you go into all the world. So as you engage with the world, teach people about me, make disciples, baptize them. As you go into the world, as you're going into your workplace, as you go into your universities, as you, wherever you're going, as you go there, preach the gospel. As you go, be compelling, be inviting, be drawing, be engaging, be real about who Jesus is, be full of the Holy Spirit, be overflowing with joy and goodness. I think it's awesome that God's, the job description for us is to be awesome, to be compelling, to be engaging. So if you think just go into the world, make disciples and teach them, that can sound dry. But if you look at how Jesus did it, it wasn't dry. Jesus is like, hey, leave everything behind. Come and follow me. And then you walk on water. That's fun. Let's, do, let's raise people from the dead. That's fun. That's quite a compelling thing that Jesus called them into. And I think as a church, you know, as Christians, we've got to be a tree. If someone stood on your life, or if someone stood in your shoes, or if someone looked through your eyes, would they see Jesus better than they do right now? If your unsaved friends saw the world the way you see it, would they see Jesus in it? Because if you can't be a tree, what do you got to do? Climb one. Oh, no, I just need to change my behaviors. No, you don't. You don't need to change your behaviors. You need, you need Jesus to change your behaviors. Oh, okay, I need to be transformed by Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't just go around transforming people. He never did it. He can fix your problem if you just want your problem fixed. He can raise you from the dead if you're just dead. But if you really want to live a compelling life, an overflowing life, a transformed life, it comes right back down to humility. Humility.